22-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Seven seconds. They got Benetarian range. I'll tell you, what Tom Brady just did gives me goosebumps. Wide again for Tierney. Tierney's cross. Lucic, top of the circle, Horton, the drive, score! The Bruins knock out Montreal! Welcome back to another edition of Boston Sports Extra Podcast. I'm Kyle Porchy. I'm here with my buddies Travis and Jack, and we're here to talk about some Celtics basketball. You guys ready? Let's do it. We've got some good information for y'all today. All right, so we're going to have Travis lead this off because he's a very good conductor. So, uh, Travis, what you got on your mind? All right, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and kick it off with some uh, 08 Celtic fuse going on here. Um, just today, uh, with some little Ray Allen conflict appears to still not be settled down after 10 years of feuding. Um, Ray Allen is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame on Friday, and he says that he does not expect to hear any congratulations from his teammates uh, when he is inducted. Um, what we know is that Paul Pierce uh, appears to be the only teammate that has made up with Ray Allen at this point in time. Um, so the feud is still alive, guys. What do you have to think about? What do you have to say about all of this continuing drama going on with this 08 team? I think this is the most stubborn group of guys we have ever seen in Boston sports because we have Ray Allen who started this whole thing by going to the heat and betraying the team or whatever. And we've got, on the other hand, we got KG who we all know is the most headstrong and in your face, aggressive person we have ever. And, you know, there's Rondo too, who's super, you know, stubborn and that he's kind of his feud with Allen's kind of, one of the bigger reasons why Allen headed out and, you know, Rondo's not not the kind of guy who do, who's going to be like, hey, man, my bad. So this just seems – it's all so unnecessary and drawn out. You know, Pierce has tried to, like, extend the olive branch a little bit, but those other guys are just not having it. And, you know, there's no way they're going to say anything by, you know, his Hall of Fame induction. And it's just – it's so unnecessary and drawn out. But we've got these super strong personalities all clashing with each other. And, of course, there's not going to be a – resolution this quickly at least by hall of fame induction oh yeah definitely i couldn't agree more i mean it, it's kind of like watching you know schoolyard children just go back and forth over who's going to play dodgeball on this person's team and who's going to sit out you know it, it's, it's just childish but at the same time i mean they're they're all very similar personalities they all wanted to win even though they're still retired or well besides rondo he's kind of bouncing back and forth but um, they they also have that mentality like they basketball is in their blood and I mean it, it'll get resolved eventually. But I mean, congrats to Ray Allen going to the Hall of Fame, well well deserved career. But I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think you know a bunch of hard headed guys get together, and what's so amazing about what's so like, shocking about this whole thing is how together this team was in 08. You know what I mean? Like they brought in and became so selfless you know they they opened up and like 
took their individual stats aside and, and like unified so well and they like meshed so well together it's kind of crazy that 10 years later they still have this drama you know what i mean yeah. um it's kind of childish in my opinion 10 years is ridiculous that being said i will say and you know of course i'm gonna defend garnett and paul pierce you know to my death i will say that ray allen did not help his case by writing a book basically talking down Rajon Rondo. I don't know if you guys read his his memoir, but he yeah. basically just talked so much trash about Rajon Rondo and all of like the conflicts that they had and like how hurtful he was to the team. And then he topped it off with his 42nd birthday where he basically just complained all day about how he was just he spent his entire birthday just talking trash with Celtic fans, just complaining and arguing with Celtic fans. Like you're not gonna get like any sort of positive like feedback from Boston fans or from former players when like you yourself are like also not being the bigger man stepping up. In my exactly. Both sides have to somehow meet in the middle or nothing will ever happen. Yeah. So Doc Rivers um, had a little bit of something to say about it uh, in an interview. Uh, I, got, I can read the quote for you guys here. Just kind of get a little idea what he had to say. He said, um, I would love to have a celebration for Ray. Not a lot said here about it. You know, Ray won us a title. He really did. I think he should be celebrated. I think he should be celebrated in Boston. He's responsible for that banner. He really is. So I think Doc Rivers regrets that he couldn't, like, connect these guys back together and, and like, couldn't, like, help solve this feud um, because he talked about if he were to go and play a game for his life of all the teams he's ever been on in his career, played or coached, he said the 08 Celtics would be the team he would have to have his back, you know, and that's kind of power. That's really powerful. You know what I mean? So yeah. what do you guys think about his, his comments there? Well, I mean, he was a coach. He, he was kind of, from what I've heard, he was the main glue to just get everyone, you know, together on the same page because the only guy that was there on that Celtics team before 08 was Rondo and Pierce. I mean, <clears throat> Allen just kind of come in. And, I mean, it's a different environment. Usually, like, you get two really good players your first year. You don't win an NBA championship. You know what I mean? So, I mean, ju just, the, just the specialness of that team in general, yeah, they, sh they should all be celebrated. Doc has a very good point. I mean, Rondo had a part of that championship. KG mm -hmm. had a part of that championship. Allen, Pierce, everyone on that team did, did a major part in getting that banner. So, yes, they should all be celebrated. Doc has a very good point. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's kind of sad, you know, looking back on it the way that that team that was, you know, as Travis mentioned, so together and so, you know, united that they had to, you know, kind of come apart the way they did, you know, with that big trade, you know. There was nothing they could really do about that. That was Danny Ainge's decision to ship them off to the Nets. But then, you know, Doc left to the Clippers, and they all just kind of went their separate ways except for, except for Rondo who kind of hung around for a couple more years. But And then after that, you know, Porchy, you said it. Doc was the glue, and now the glue kind of disappeared, and you're left with these major, major personalities that are conflicting. So, you know, there's not going to really be a resolution, I think, ever, you know. You know, one side is going to have to give in. It's not going to be Ray Allen. It's not going to be KG. It's definitely not going to be Rondo. So what are they going to do in the end? Yeah. I, don't, I honestly don't think they'll – I don't know if they'll ever resolve it. That's what I mean. It's like I don't see – a future where Garnett and, and especially Jean Rondo, especially Jean Rondo will I, like 
ever sit down with him. What do you think? I don't know. I feel like Garnett will come around at some point because he. I feel like when he's old, he's just going to remind me of Bill Russell. Right. Just yeah. making appearances on TV, flipping people off, and just having a hell of a glory <laughs> time. I feel like KG's just going to come around because him and Bill Russell were both ruthless defenders and just brutal people on the court. But, and I, th- I feel like when he's older, he's just going to turn to a sweet old guy. But not Rondo. Rondo's about the- Rondo, Rondo, no way. Rondo, no way. Yeah. I mean, I, no way. I think Kevin Garnett will be on Area 21 talking trash about Rayon until the day he dies. After, <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to wait till the beard's gray. <laughs> and you have to wait till he's, like, at least fragile and he's got, like, that hunch over. Once that happens, the niceness just flows through. Perhaps, perhaps. Guys, <laughs> so, like – we see a lot of this. What what Ray Allen did, you know, we couldn't. He couldn't beat the Heat. He couldn't beat LeBron James, so he joined him, right? And that's the whole start of this whole thing. We're seeing that like over and over again. You know, we're seeing that with Kevin Durant. He couldn't beat the Warriors. He joined him. Uh, Demarcus Cousins. He pretty much just said, you know, screw it. I'm gonna join the championship team. Go get me a ring real quick, and then leave. Ray so Allen. Would thinks. you guys say Ray Allen's kind of like in a weird way because he was an All Star at that point in his career. He kind of was like the first snake. So to be, so to speak, I hate to say that such a strong word, but yeah, uh, I mean, it's weird to put it in that perspective because I've never thought about it like that before. But I mean, it kind of makes sense. It, it kind of makes sense. I mean, he he got his ring, and then he played like what one more season in Miami, and then just kind of fell out of the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I surprisingly just thinking about that right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that that doesn't. What gets me the most is that. The contract the Celtics offered was two years, twelve million, and mm. the contract the Heat offered was three years, nine million. And so he took way less money to go yeah. hang out in, yeah. in Miami. You know, after two years of of big battles between the Celtics and the Heat, mm. and the Heat were starting to become one of the Celtics' main rivals at that point. Of course, when Allen went there, it became you know war exploded. I mean, and, it is. I think especially like. With Durant, it's almost it's almost worse. And hear me out. With Durant, there was no way Durant was gonna beat the Warriors with the Thunder. I just didn't see it. It just wasn't gonna happen. With the Celtics, I think the year, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the year that he left was the, the year we went to seven games with Miami. Yeah, twenty eleven. Yeah. We were one game away. We almost we were we were getting closer and closer, and we almost we were within one game of of, of upending them, and then he leaves. You know, what I mean, I think it's the point that like. We were still battling. It wasn't like we were regressing, and yet, this, and yet, he just left them at the height of like the peak of that yeah. like battle. Yeah. So that'll kind. Of, oh, go ahead. Well, at the same time, you got to remember, you know, KG was getting getting old in age, you know, and Allen was getting old in age, and Pierce was getting old in age, and that kind of was. It was the beginning of the end there, and I think that really, I think that probably played a part in Allen's heading to the Heat. He decided for himself. I don't think I have enough left in the tank to win one here as a main point of a team. Send me to Miami and get me another ring. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to a question that just popped in my head, Travis. If Allen stays in Boston instead of going to Heat, do they go to the finals that year? That's a tough one, man. I mean, you got to think we were within within a game the year before. Um, I don't. I'm pretty sure Miami didn't make any major moves that offseason after that after that run they had. Um, Boston, you know, that's a year older. Garnett's a year older. Pierce is a year older. 
I still think it's competitive. I think if he stays, I think it's still competitive. I think that maybe Boston makes a move or two, like with Ray Allen still on the team, still ready to go to maybe bolster their lineup. And who knows? I mean, it could have altered multiple dominoes. You never know. We could have gotten another piece that might have been able to put us over the top in that seven-game series. That being said, we haven't beaten LeBron James. Celtics, that we beat LeBron James with Paul Pierce in game seven and 08. And we haven't beat him since. So it's hard. It's hard to say that we could have. But he fled the one year we could. He hey. fled the one year. Hey, fun fact: I was I was at that game, two thousand eight, game seven. Were you really? Yep. Wow, six that's old. incredible. Six years old, first Celtics game. Did you catch that's like awful. any of the confetti or anything? Yeah, I was. We have some in my house. I was sitting. I was gonna say you gotta keep that as like a seek or something. I was that, sitting that's twenty awesome. rows, twenty rows behind the basket. Oh no! Kidding. Was it okay? Tell me, was it the basket that Paul Paul shot the free throw and bounced up? Yes, yes. Or was that oh, one? Oh, yep. That is. Oh my god! I am so jealous right now, man. That's incredible. It was awesome, it was dude. Awesome. That's sick. I was doing like algebra homework like back then and didn't watch the game. <laughs> oh no! I had to miss yeah, the game true. because I sucked at math. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's I'm I'm so jealous right now. I don't even know what that, right that's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, okay, guys, we got. Let's move on to the next topic here. We got some. Uh, we talked about Terry Rozier last podcast. We're gonna go ahead and talk talk a little bit more about Rozier this podcast. He seems to be just a hot topic these days. Um, people still aren't sure like where he's gonna go next with this whole you know increased production he's he's had. Uh, so there's some trade rumors going on with with Phoenix. Not really like continuing rumors. It was just that Phoenix essentially was targeting a um, quote unquote frontier guard. And uh, Rozier's name was one of the three guards mentioned that they they uh, they called in for. Um, crazy, you know. He was he was mentioned in the same sentence as Kemba Walker, All Star, and Damian Willard, All Star slash Superstar. You know what I mean? I mean, it's crazy that like that he was even mentioned in the same sentence as these guys. And I think that this Phoenix trade rumor could just be the start of a whole lot of trade rumors coming up coming on Danny Oinge's doorstep, you know, moving in the season towards, you know, the trade deadline. And uh, what do you guys think about, about this whole Phoenix interest and uh, about Rozier's potential and what people are, are thinking about the guy? Well, I mean, they had every right to want to try to seek him to help their team because he's a damn great point guard. I mm-hmm. mean, we've alluded to this, like, numerous episodes and stuff. Like, if, if we weren't loaded at the guard position, he would he could be a starting point guard in this league. Like, it, honestly, it, the only thing I can really see, like, a pinpoint problem here is if he's just lanky. If he built up, mm-hmm. the, the dude would be phenomenal. He'd be unstoppable. But, I mean, at the same time, I'd rather keep Kyrie Irving than Terry. But that's a different subject. But, I mean, Dushis, Dushis, crazy. Like, he's hungry. He's hungry. Well, Phoenix is such a young team. And Rozier, I think, perfectly, perfectly fits that team. You know, they're running, they're running gunners. And they're only going to get better. They have, you know, Jackson, Booker, who's going to be a superstar in this league. Len, uh, they just drafted Bridges or traded for Bridges. Or, mm-hmm. And the more I think about it, the more I think that that was a perfect trade destination for him. And mm-hmm. so these rumors are probably the, you know, the first, they're the first team that's come out, the first team name that's come out. Obviously, we knew there were trade rumors with Rozier probably all summer. They've probably been cutting. Whew, been getting calls all summer <laughs> about Rozier, but this is the first team name we've heard singled out in this pursuit. And 
I think there's got to be some legitimacy behind that totally. rumor, you know. And now I get it's got me wondering, you know, what they offer. But if there's going to be a trade partner, they have to find someone. Rozier's going to want to go to a team with a good situation for him, and Boston's going to need a team that's going to be able to give him good assets back. And Phoenix has a ton of draft picks. You know, they're still not there yet, so those draft picks are valuable, and they've got a bunch of young talent that's, yeah. that's super valuable in any trade. So yeah. if there's going to be a partner, I think Phoenix has got to be one of the best matches for a trade. For me, yeah, yeah. For me um, it's hard to find an asset that Phoenix had that had. I, this, is, this is probably a reason why like Phoenix that didn't, didn't happen to me is that Phoenix doesn't really have a lot of assets um, available that – would interest Danny Ainge enough to pull a trigger on a Rozier trade in particular. I think maybe like Phoenix as a destination for Rozier's growth. I think you nailed it, Jack. I think that Phoenix is probably like a perfect match if he were to leave because he can be a prominent player on a building team um, where he would have a ton of minutes to flourish. I think location-wise is great. Um, but I don't. I think that a third team would have to get involved for Boston to be interested. And to me, I think that Danny is probably going to want to hold on to Rozier until he knows the outcome of the Kyrie Irving information. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Because if Kyrie leaves and he just traded Dario Rozier, then he doesn't have a backup point guard. You know what I mean? So I feel like Danny's kind of holding out until he knows what Kyrie's doing. Once he has Kyrie signed in, then he can let him go or yeah, yeah. You know, you make mean? it work. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy because like they they could definitely offer us a really good first round draft pick, but we already have a potential of three in next year's draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine the studs we could get with the number two overall pick, a number eight overall pick, and then our own. Sure. Pick. Zion Williamson, come to Boston, <laughs> please. <laughs> that would be sick. I don't know about Zion, man. Dude, that would be <laughs> sick. What do you guys think Danny's looking for in a trade? What What would make him pull the trigger, do you think? You got any ideas, Kyle? Part of me wants to say another wingman. Because Danny H loves loves guys who can spread the court. He, he, I mean, in most of the trades that I've seen him pull off for, he loves forwards. Mm-hmm. Forwards are like his his ideal like position on the court. But at the same time, I feel like this team is just so loaded. We don't really need to trade anybody. Sure. Like we don't really need anything. That, I mean, unless. Sorry. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. I was. Uh, I mean. Um, <laughs> right, you go, you go. <laughs> oh my god, you go. Mike, we gotta cut that one. Um, <laughs> um, I, no, I was just gonna add that. Um, um, the one guy on the Suns that I would have been interested in if it was Danny Ainge was Marquise Chris because he's like a forward, more of a power forward type guy, um, that can spread the four a little bit. He's super raw, um, but has high potential. Um, but they traded him. You know what I mean? He 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 was gone before these rumors came out regarding Terry Rozier. Well, and I yeah. find it interesting that those it was it went one day it was that trade for Chris and to the Rockets, and two days later these rumors came out with the Rozier trade rumors. So Phoenix is Phoenix is on the move. They're looking for that trade. But in terms of players, I think he was targeting. I think they looking at a guy like Alex Len at that center position. You know, he's a true center. He's 21 years old or 22. He's young. He's he's a seven-foot center. He's got the build. He's got the body. And, you know, Al Orford is aging. And if they wanted mm-hmm. to bring in another center to come behind him, challenge Robert Williams a little bit, I think that's a guy that they would potentially look at pulling the trigger for. Because, like you said, they don't really need any more wings. Right. 
I mean, he's in a, they're in a perfect position. Um, Danny's in a perfect position where he doesn't need to make any moves. I think, Porsche, you nailed that. I think. Yeah, take so I, much pressure off his shoulders. You know, I mean, he doesn't have to reach. He doesn't. Ha- he doesn't have to make a move. He's not in back into a corner like a lot of these GMs find themselves in a situation like, like the Cavaliers last year. They were forced to trade Kyrie. You know, they get back into a corner, and they make a, you know, a rushed move. And I think Danny Ainge is in a perfect position. He continues to show his brilliancy. I mean, especially the 76ers GM. He's been pretty quiet the last year and a half or so. <laughs> that. That said, though, if Terry Rozier comes out and says, I want out, that mm. changes everything. Because then then every single team in the NBA is calling Danny Ainge oh, yeah. to, dec- to see what they want for Terry Rozier. And that's a, they get in a similar Kyrie Irving situation, except on a little bit of smaller scale. If Terry Rozier says he wants out, they're going to pull the trigger right away because you yeah. know they've got multiple suitors lined up and waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. If Kyrie and wants out... out- there's going to be a lot longer process trying to just convince him to stay in this beloved city. I mean, look at when we tried covering Kevin Durant. We sent out Tom freaking Brady to cover to convey an NBA free agent. I would sign him. I would sign for free. You, you sent Tom Brady for for my services to to your team. Apparently, Durant was. Uh... Well, <laughs> we don't need him. We don't need him. <laughs> Imagine how drastically the NBA landscape would have changed if he went to Boston. I mean, we were right there, right? I mean, Cleveland's not making it to the finals the last two years. Yep. Maybe a split. Take Banner 18 home at some point in between that. About, no. I think we'd be talking about Banner 19 right now. Yeah. Repeat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> right now, though. I mean, I'd be a little scared that they got DeMarcus Cousins. Because we'd have Durant, but at the same time we don't have Durant. But at the same time, I hate questions like that. Like, what if? What if? Because so many different factors are affected. The butterfly effect. Butterfly effect. Exactly. So many different things happen to make this one thing happen, and so many things happen because of this one thing that you can't accurately predict what happens when when one little move is made like that. Exactly. I got a little, uh, little fun, fun topic for you guys. Um, so I did a little research. Apparently, they had Eric Bledsoe. Bleacher Report had Eric Bledsoe, um, Terry Rozier's arch nemesis last year in the playoffs, uh, ranked in the top ten point guards list this year, guys. Like going into this last season, they had him at at number ten, I believe. Oh my um, god! I think well, if you had to put Rozier and Bledsoe, you put them on a street ball court and you let them play one on one to twenty one. You know, with the whole scary Terry thing breaking out and everything between him and Bledsoe, and who's Bledsoe, and who you know, who who wins that matchup one on one? I mean, Bledsoe's a bigger guy, but Rozier showed it last year in the playoffs. He just zips right on by him. He's gonna score whenever the hell he wants. Bledsoe, he he just showed how inferior his defense is to Rozier's offense. That that's the moral of the story. And and just just because I I feel like the only real reason he was on that top ten list is because you know he he's a veteran. He, he has ex- more experience than, mm-hmm. say, guys 11 through 15, whoever that was on the list. You know, and Rozier had only really had that one breakout season. No one really knows what's going to happen. But at the same time, I feel Rozier is that much better than Bledsoe. Well, no one really – exactly. No one really cared about Terry Rozier until March of last season. No one really knew the name. And that's why he didn't make the list, obviously. But 
Bledsoe, I agree. We we all saw in the first round of the playoffs last year how silly Terry Rozier made Eric Bledsoe look. Just night in, night out, he just he dominated that matchup. And I love that. I love watching that game one moment where Terry Rozier took that one, the one step in crossover, totally lost him, stepped back, hit the three, and he course, crossed Bledsoe in the gym there. Yeah, exactly. And of course, Chris, Mid- Chris <laughs> and Middleton then, had to go and ruin everything. And we can't even. Uh... Forget the retro Drew Bledsoe jerseys. Oh man, that was Bring those back. <laughs> that was crazy. That made me that that made me more proud to be a Celtics fan than a lot of other moments last year. That was top five. They Most even brought present. Drew Bledsoe into a game. Yeah, exactly. That was hilarious. That, was so Just that yeah. whole thing, the way that whole thing escalated. Like, oh, that was great. Yeah, he's. I love Rozier, man. He's he's one of my favorite Celtics and. I really hope the best for his career, regardless if he stays on Boston or if he leaves. Um, he's just I one think, of those guys you like to root for. Totally. No, totally. You know, he's exciting and energetic and engaging. And, like, he's just everything that, like, that like makes sports fans interested in sports, I think. Yeah. And when I when I talk about this top ten list and I bring up Eric Bledsoe being number ten, um, it just – and I talk about who would win a one-on-one or whatever. You know, Terry Rozier – could be a top, I think, in my opinion, he could be a top 10 point guard, you know, in the, in the back end, of course, 10, nine around there. Um, but he's got potential, man. He's got potential. I would, I would, I would go into two seasons from now. If Kyrie Irving was gone, I would feel comfortable having Rozier come in as the starting point guard um, with the same roster in place moving forward. Like that's how much potential I think Rozier has. Yeah. I mean, I agree. But at the same time, it's scary not seeing Boston with Kyrie Irving. That, that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you give me give me Kyrie and Rozier. I'm taking Kyrie 101 times out of 100, oh, obviously. Oh, but oh. Terry Terry Rozier, when Terry Rozier starts, he's going to be top 10 yeah, yeah, at yeah. some point in his career. It's all about when he gets that starting opportunity and at which point in his career. If it's If it's sooner rather than later, he's definitely got it because he hasn't even hit his prime yet. But if it's at the back end, you know, if he has to sit on this roster for however long Kyrie Irving gets extended for, if he does get another contract, if he has to keep sitting behind Kyrie and he doesn't get to a new team until he's, what, 27, 28, that drastically decreases his chances of entering that upper echelon of point guards because he just he won't have the time to get it really going as if he were to get on the team this season or next season when he's just entering his prime. You know – Speaking of Kyrie Irving, you know who else is high on Kyrie Irving? Apparently, according to ESPN, Danny Ainge and the front office of the Celtics. Apparently, moving on to this next topic here, Danny Ainge opened up about that whole trade with him and Isaiah Thomas, and he said that the entire front office had zero hesitation to pull the trigger on that deal. It shows you how much how how much they loved Kyrie Irving, that they were willing to let go of their beloved Isaiah Thomas and their absolutely worshipped Brooklyn Nets pick. Uh, he gave a little quote here um, to give you guys some more input. He said, I feel like there's opportunities that you have to look at and explore. And Kyrie was one of those opportunities that unanimously, internally, it was something that we all felt like we should do. Everybody unanimously wanted to do it. Like, what do you guys think about that? I mean, obviously, Danny Ainge trusts in Kyrie Irving. And, Mike, I think that he wouldn't have made such a bold move if, uh, if we – if he didn't totally just have faith that Kyrie was going to stay along. Well, that just that just tells you how highly the Celtics front office valued 
Kyrie Rozier as a player going into that season at that point in time. You know, Isaiah was coming off that hip injury. He he'd done amazing in the playoffs, but he was he was on that hip injury, and he just he wasn't he. I think the Celtics front office knew that he wasn't really going to be the same player at that time in his career. And I think just with the way things fell, Jay Crowder, he was he was an asset they didn't really need to hang on to. Zizich, you know, is a back end player, and that that Nets pick, that's what they that's what made the deal happen. And I think when Danny Ainge and whatever his inner circle was there, when they looked at that roster and decided, okay. If we take away Isaiah Crowder and the Nets pick and get Kyrie, are we better? And that's where they all said, "Yes, we are better." Yeah. At the at the end of the day. Yeah, and um, I mean Kyrie Irving's a very smart dude. He's very intellectual. Uh, as soon as he came on, I feel like he welcomed the situation with open arms. I mean, I'm not sure exact reasons why he wanted to leave Cleveland. I'll never know those reasons. It's everything speculation. But I mean, at the same time. He, he he's he's not saying oh like I, I want to test free agency but at the same time he's not saying I want to stay with Boston he's he's obviously he's always learning around himself and adapting to everything or in a situation so he's playing it smart that's why you you can't really play into these rumors of like oh he's going to the Knicks or Kyrie doesn't want to be in the Celtics you know blah 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 just just stupid clickbait stuff <laughs> like that <laughs> but uh. He, he just got to let him trust his own indecisions and intuitions, and he, he's going to do whatever is the smartest move fiscally and for his career. So hopefully th- that's here. Yeah, I, th- I think you take what happened with Kawhi Leonard this year, this offseason, um, as a perfect example of how much trust Danny Ainge has that he can get a deal done with Kyrie Irving. My reasoning behind that is when you look at how Kawhi Leonard, when he, ha- when he had the option to be traded, it was a lot very similar to Kyrie Irving where – the Spurs how were forced. They were forced to make a deal to get rid of Kawhi because he was forcing his way out, much like Kyrie. Danny Ainge specifically said, and he had all the assets in the world to make a deal. He could have given up Jalen Brown. He could have given up Jason Tatum. He could have given up our top draft picks. You know, he held. He standed pat. He said, "I'm not giving up any of our starting five. You know, I'll give you guys maybe two draft picks, maybe three draft picks, and a bench player. You know, for a, a top five player in the league, Kawhi Leonard. Why did he do that?" He didn't do that for Kyrie Irving. He gave up our number one player. He gave up an, a, a superstar player that year, that season, with our top Brooklyn pick, our prized Brooklyn pick. He basically dealt the house for Kyrie Irving. I think he did that because he trusts that long-term he can get a deal that will keep Kyrie Irving long-term, whereas with Kawhi Leonard, he wasn't offering anything. And I think that's probably has to do with the fact that, unlike Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard was not – he did not have any of that same faith. You know, and I yeah. think that his indecision with Kawhi Leonard only bolsters his like how he how confident he is with this Kyrie Irving situation. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the first trade in NBA history where two 25 point per game scorers swap teams. Yes. yes. Which is huge. Mm-hmm. And looking that Kawhi situation was just it was so bonkers, just beginning to end the way it all you know, came to fruition, but when you can learn a lot about what front offices think of players by what is offered for those players. And I think Danny Ainge, it's kind of ties back to when we were talking about earlier, how this team doesn't need to make any moves in order to get better. What they have, what they want 
to get better. And so, you know, they had their collection of wings. Danny Ainge wasn't thinking, okay, I need to go I need to go out and get Kawhi Leonard. He was thinking, I'd like to have Kawhi Leonard, but he's not a player I have to make a move for. And, right. and Kyrie Irving was a player that he must have thought, I have to make a move for this player at this point. Oh, yeah. He's a once-in-a-generation type of player. I mean, I mean, Cleveland had their backs against the wall. There was no good situation where they could resolve that peacefully or at least keeping him on the roster for one more season. I mean, that that's how I feel. We got Kyrie Irving at a very cheap level. It could have costed a lot more, like you said, Travis, earlier. But, I mean, like that was a steal. That mm-hmm. was almost as great, great as the uh, Brooklyn Nets draft trade. Yeah, you know, and, and it, let's talk a little bit about Cleveland's side of this whole thing. Like, obviously, like you said, Porchy, you know, their backs were against the wall here. Um, they did the best they could. Uh, I think a lot of people are a little too harsh, in my opinion, on Cleveland. I think that um, Cleveland, when they made this deal, it wasn't about Isaiah Thomas. I don't think that Isaiah Thomas was going to be long-term on the Cavaliers. I think what Cleveland wanted was that draft pick. You know, and they, they pulled out Colin Sexton. They pulled out eighth overall pick, Colin Sexton, who dropped almost 20 points a game in the summer league this year. Yeah. Um, the dude is highly regarded by his peers. You know, I think – I believe he was the second highest picked player of the rookies to win rookie of the year this year. Yep. I mean, if Colin Sexton – I mean, they got what they wanted. You know, they did get a high draft pick with a point guard who could replace – who could potentially place Kyrie Irving if he pans out. So yeah, I yeah, think yeah, people yeah. need to, like, you know, relax a little bit on, like, Cleveland. You know, I, I got their backs a little bit now that LeBron James is gone and they won't no longer contend with us. So I can praise them a little bit here. What do you guys think? I, think, I mean – Go for it. Go ahead. All right, all right, all right. So if you look at it from Cleveland's point of view and Cleveland's side – it's the exact same situation with Boston and the Brooklyn pick. They didn't trade for any of those players to stay and contend on the roster. They traded them as assets to stockpile, build, till they had the players in sight that they wanted. And, and that's exactly what they did around the trade deadline. They flipped Isaiah Thomas, Zizic, and just basically half their roster for just a bunch of better players. Mm-hmm. And it sort of worked. It brought them to the finals with Isaiah Thomas, any of those guys, they they were not, they were not acquired to play on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster. They were acquired to get players that they wanted. Yeah, and you know they went out. They got Clarkson. They got Hood. They got Nance. Those are decent. Play- they're decent players that they went out and got. But the I feel like the only way Cleveland wins this trade, the only way is if Sexton becomes a superstar and Kyrie leaves after this year. That, in my mind, is the only outcome where people go look back in 10 years and they look back and they say, okay, Cleveland got the better end of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Porgy? What, like, if, let's, let's, go, let's go back and forth here. Like, how does Boston win this trade and how does Cleveland win this trade? I mean, Boston wins this trade is simple. I mean, if they win a finals championship some point before Kyrie decides to leave, if he leaves, that's a win because mm-hmm. you got a banner. Or if he even stays long term and we're contending and winning, like there's there's gonna be no way Cleveland can win that trade. Right. But Cleveland wins this trade if and only if Colin Sexton becomes some sort of mega superstar at the point guard position that nobody really saw coming. Mm-hmm. Because he if, if that's the case, then it's gonna be a fluke that he was picked number eight. Right. Like they, they would have had to known something that the other seven teams in front of them didn't know. 
And if it some somehow tri- did like a triple down, trickle down effect where like it cleared cap space to re-sign Kevin Love and he just becomes this this phenomenal forward that's just a terror to the Eastern Conference for like five years. And then it just it just a ripple effect where this guy wants to become because oh there's there's no there's no uh, ball hog like Kyrie or blah 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 we just got Kevin Love and he's such a great team player and he's healthy and he's scoring he's blocking shots you know it, it would have to be an astronomical amount for Cleveland to win this trade in my opinion. Chuck, what do you think? You go ahead first, Jack. Um, I kind of, I th- I kind of agree with Porchy. It's going to take a lot. The initial reactions were Cleveland won the trade far and away. That's what people were saying on August 23rd, 2017, after the, the day after the trade. People were saying, oh, man, they just got a six, they just got a six inch taller Isaiah Thomas, and we got a first-round pick and all these other dudes. And now right. we're looking back and saying, okay, what really was the outcome of this trade? The Celtics got Kyrie Irving, who is far and away – performed better than Isaiah Thomas did by a million miles this season. And then they that was the only piece the Celtics got for a reason. That's all they needed out of that trade was that point guard. Mm. Cavaliers got, in the end, after after everything, the Cavaliers got Hood, Sexton, Nance, Clarkson mm-hmm. in the end. That's what they received for the trade. And if they think those guys are going to take them back to – you know, keep them at the level they were with LeBron, then great. But it's not going to happen unless Sexton. Not going to happen unless Sexton gets to that superstar level and gets on par with Kyrie Irving and 2016 Isaiah Thomas. And that's the only way that the Cavaliers win. If somehow all these trades you somehow turn up all in Cavaliers' favor. If Sexton, Sexton gets to that level, if Hood and Clarkson and Nance all – you know, make huge jumps in their career, and 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 Kyrie has to leave. Yeah, if Kyrie signs a long-term deal, the Celtics win no matter what. I, th- I think you guys nailed it. I think for me, I had you know Kyrie stays. If Kyrie stays. Simple as that. Um, if Kyrie leaves this year, there's really no way you can say that Boston wins this trade because if Kyrie leaves, they gave away the Brooklyn pick for nothing essentially because Kyrie was injured last playoffs. We didn't even get to see Kyrie in the playoffs. If we don't win a ring this year and he leaves, then then, then it was all for nothing. Yeah, then we don't have the eighth pick. You know, what I mean, we don't have Colin Sexton on our team. Um, if he signs, I, like you guys said, it's pretty much astronomical odds that Cleveland would be able. You could say that Cleveland had a better deal in this, unless Sexton becomes on par with Kyrie Irving, or he becomes a very high quality starter. I think a key guy that they did get back of, I didn't really love all the players they got back in the, in the Isaiah Thomas trade, but I am kind of a fan of Larry Nance. I think he could be a starting caliber big man. And I think if he does develop into a starting caliber big man, that could be good for Cleveland, big for Cleveland. And um, one other guy that we did actually end up sending away in this trade is Antti Zizek. Um, I looked up his rookie stats, guys. Check this out. Per 48 minutes, Ante Zizek in his rookie season averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds a game. That's one. What? That's like a that, yeah, I know. And if you if you spread his numbers out for 48 minutes, 20 and 10 a game. Oh. You know what I mean? He he's actually like he's got potential. You know, he's a raw dude. Yeah. We got him, I think, mid first round last yeah. year. Um, if he develops, if he can drop 20 and 10 a game one at one point in his career, then 
Cleveland really looks good. Cleveland yeah, because really I believe he was just like Yabu Sale, uh, stash and dra- draft and yeah. stash for a year, and then they both yep. signed. So it's big. Yeah, you watch out for Zizek, man. That was a, that's a little, that's a that's a unnoticed uh, note in that in that deal. I kind of was hoping when that deal happened, I was reading all through the players that we gave away and everything, and uh, I was hoping honestly that we gave away Gershon over Zizek. And I know it's yeah. hard to say because a lot of Celtic fans out there are in love with Gershon, but I think for cool. reasons. I, I mean, he, I I would like him more if like. And granted, it's nothing he can really do about it if he just played more. He just doesn't play enough for me to be like, yo, that's my Yogi Bear right there. <laughs> Let's get it. Like, nah. Um, for me, I mean, Gershon is just like that. He's like that guy in the high school team that never plays. He never comes in. But when he gets in, everybody in the gym's like, shoot it, shoot it. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, and he hits it and the crowd goes wild. It's like. You shouldn't be excited about a player like that because, like, he's like Brian Schuyler bringing all over again. He's not going to be good. He's just going to, you know, <laughs> he's going to draw in crowds. But, but it's, it's weird. Yabusele is just like Zizek. He was a project. <laughs> if you've ever looked at a picture of Yabusele, he's a big boy. He's he a he's a big dude, but he moves. He moves. He moves all right for a guy of his size and. He has, I think he has the raw talent, but he's got to play more. He doesn't play enough to be able to develop the talent that he needs if he wants to, you know, maintain some relevancy in the NBA. Yeah, I'd give him a few years. Plus, it's weird. He's got like this cult following on Twitter. That's yeah, so weird. His name is Gershon Yabusele. Tell me you can keep a frown and say Gershon Yabusele. Actually, you can. (laughs) Yeah. You know, let's get in. Let's get into the bench, guys. We uh, last podcast we uh, talked about uh, key improvement areas that we at BSC like to see for our team next year. Um, we talked about the starters, talked about starting five. So this year we're gonna this this time we're gonna get into the bench. Uh, we're gonna go through from Smart, Rozier, Morris, Baines, Tice, and Ojale, and a little bit of a, a, a gem in there with some Robert Williams talk. So uh, let's kick it off with some Marcus Smart. Oh, boy. I mean, the one thing I really like to see him do is fix his jump shot and learn when to take the shot and when to pass it. He showed both of those really, really badly in that L.A. game last winter, I believe, when he just chucked up the shot and it did not go in and we lost the game. Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he's never been the greatest offensive shooting uh, guard in the league. But, I mean, at the same time, his defense speaks for himself. Like, he, he's he's that player, like, you're not going to see him, like, get huge stats, but he's just that guy, like, he like he dove on the ground and broke his pinky, I think, or whatever finger it was, just to get a ball, a loose ball, so we can get the possession. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the dude's a bulldog. Like, you keep him on a chain long enough, like, don't let him loose. You let him loose, all hell's going to break loose. James Harden learned that all the hard way That's last right. year. That's right. He put the straps on James Harden. Favorite game was crazy game of the year for me. It was crazy. I don't know what you guys think. I think he has to learn to play within himself. He has to learn. You kind of touched on it, Kyle. He has to learn where it's his moment to be in the focal point of the offense and where it's his moment to kind of step back. And I think this year that's more important than ever because they have a real shot at contending. You know, other years in his past couple seasons, we've been there. We've been kind of there, but we haven't really been all the way. But this year, we have every single piece that we need to contend. And if Marcus Smart wants to be a beneficial factor towards that, he's got to play 
his role on the team and not try to overstep his boundaries and take those crazy wild shots like in the Lakers game. He's got to learn. He's got to learn when it's his time and when he's got to step back and play a different role. And his defense is great, but he needs to remember where he is and that he's Marcus Smart when he's on the offensive end and that he's not Kyrie Irving he's when not. he's on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, I knew that you guys – I knew that we'd all be unanimous with Marcus Smart. I think he's about as easy as it gets when it comes to, like, what's the improvement areas because dude can't shoot to save his life. Like, it's bad. Sorry, it's, it's beyond bad. As like, a matter of Sorry. fact, I think last year, like halfway through the year, like he was like one of – I think a stat came out and he was like the fourth worst shooter in history, like based on a certain amount of shots. Like that's terrible. Got you know what's crazy though? You want to show – want to see how how impactful he is? He makes $13 million a year, and he's the fourth worst shooter in history. I mean – We still I love you, big guy. Yeah, I think, I think you guys are not. I think the thing is about Smart, though, like we could wish all we want that he's going to increase his shooting consistency and he's going to be a better shooter, but he's going to be who he is. He is who he is. I don't expect him to change. He's going to continue to be this defensive bulldog that can't shoot a, to make a shot to save his life. Yeah, yeah. I mean – 29% career three-point shooter, guys. Oh, my God. And, and his shot doesn't make it any better. Like, when he jumps up, he, like, jumps up and just flick. And yeah. then it's just – it's that same, like, damn it. Like, he has, like, that Charlie Brown look in his eye. Like, when he misses it, walking back to the other end, he's like, oh, I'm going to kick that football one of these days, Lucy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like he'll get there at one point. One point, like, I will be confident at some point in his career where he's like, all right, he just took that shot. Like, we got this. But – for now, don't take the shot. Please give it to Kyrie. Please. No, he'll be 0 for 10 and think he's gonna make the next five. Like, Marcus, Marcus, that, that's Mark. crazy though. Like, like he'll he'll go like 0 for 11 first half, and then he'll just start doing the pick and rolls, the alley oops with Horford, and then he's just driving to the rack, making nine of ten in the second mm-hmm. half. Like he's literally like a match. Like you spark him, he's going off. It, it's just completely absurd. <laughs> The thing I like, Marcus Smart is what I like to call a no-no-yes player because that's what you yeah. say to yourself every single time <laughs> he takes a shot. And while I love that about him, is that he's one of those players, it's just it's not great for the team that that's what I think every single time he puts up a shot. Is I'm just thinking, no, God, why does he take that shot? Until it, go, until it goes in the basket, you're like, God dang it, Marcus Smart, why are you shooting that basketball? And that's Except not the kind of player I want him to be. Except for like Porchy said, if he's ever playing LA, he ain't no. shooting that shot. No more. No more. No. That won't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was in the ER all night with my buddy, and then he misses a freaking shot. It's like, dude. <laughs> but I'm um, sitting there on like a 12 inch screen. I'm like, bro, <laughs> Rozier was open. <laughs> for me, you just got to take what he does to impact winning uh, in exchange for his shooting. I mean, yeah, that's true. I will take him. him. I'll take him. He's a twenty nine percent three point shooter for his career, but I, he's honestly he might even be my favorite Celtic, and I, it's crazy to say, but I just love his his competitive spirit and his demeanor. Yeah. I just love everything about the guy. Plus, tell me another guard who can post up against a like a seven foot center. The dude just has a crazy mentality. He's like, oh, you're Marcus Saul. I don't care. I'm gonna swat that ball. <laughs> I remember there was a play like a couple years back when uh, LeBron got the ball in the post and he was posting on Smart and Smart 
locked him down. He couldn't back him down. He was doing everything he could and smart bullied him in like he's some kind of seven foot two big man. Dude, I saw that. That was a little. I saw that a little bit in the playoffs this year too. Yeah, smart was like LeBron kind of looked at Smart was like, "You're guarding me," and Smart's like, "Yeah, I'm guarding you." And, up, yeah, the- and good things happen. Dude, I never thought I would see anyone on the Celtics player last Celtics team last last year in the first round. Like he bullied the hell out of Giannis onto the combo too. Totally. He was giving him fits when Horford was getting backed up. Smart would just come in and Horford would just go on the other side of the court. Like, bro, this man's two feet taller than you. What are you doing? <laughs> like that in my mind, it's like easy basket, but then you have to look. Oh, it's thirty six. Oh, it's smart. Like he good. He ain't making this shot. <laughs> Hey, you're making it. <laughs> makes it work. He makes it work. Exactly. All right, guys, let's move on to some Terry Rozier. Not that we haven't talked a lot about him yet, but in this podcast, but let's let's get it going with Rozier. What's your guys' improvement area for him? Um, consistency. Biggest <laughs> thing for me. He had his stretches where he was really, really good. He had that stretch of like 16, I think, where he scored double digits. But then in the playoffs, it just he got so erratic, and it was you didn't know which Terry Rozier was going to show up on every any given night. Especially in that game seven, he was like 0 for 10 or something oh, ridiculous God. from three. I was ready. I was ready to reach through my screen and throttle him. <laughs> and that's just if he Damn. wants to get to the next, he wants to get to the next level. That's what he's got to improve on. It's consistency. So mine's a bit unorthodox because it's very hard to measure this, but at the same time, it's taking advantage of his opportunities. Sure. He, he's he's only going to get a certain amount of minutes a game when Kyrie Irving's maybe getting ready to go off the court or. You know, just like when they're doing the switches and lineups and stuff like that. Every he's a big time name right now. Like teams are calling him for trades. Like like he's actually in somewhat of a spotlight now. He's he's gotta do really well, but he can't overthink it and screw up. You know what I mean? Like like he has to play well, but he has to, to more or less just stay humble and just know his game and trust himself. I think uh he didn't really perform all that well until he was starting that, that starting starting spot, and I think that's a perfect uh, taking advantage of opportunities. That's that's a good one because now he's going to go back. He's going to go back to bench minutes, and he's going to have yeah. to learn how to do what he did in less amount of time. I think yeah. that's perfect. Um, I just looked up statistically. I think that two areas that he needs to focus in on for me would be um, his court vision and passing. Uh, until Kyrie Irving came along, he was a little bit wild. You know what I mean? Like when he was had the ball in his hand, it was like tunnel vision. I'm just going to blitz straight to the rim, probably lose the ball, fall down, some goofball move, you know, he would do. Yeah. Kyrie was kind of like training him to like relax, look around, you know, and I think he's improving in court vision. But the dude averaged less than three assists a game um, in 26 minutes played last year. Um, he's a point guard. I think two, 2.9 assists per game as a point guard in 26 minutes – that needs to come up a little bit. He needs to pass a little bit more for me. He is a score first guy, and that's fine. But at the same time, he needs to know when to make the pass and when not to make the pass. Because he's kind of like at the rim, and he's going to shoot a layup. It doesn't matter if he's guarded by two guys or not. Um, he upgraded. He, he he raised that figure to 5.7 assists per game in the postseason. So I think he has the ability. He knows he can be a facilitator, and I think it kind of combos in with the whole make, taking advantage of the opportunities because um, he can be a better passer, and I think that's an area that he's probably going to like take a look at and try to excel better in this season. Yeah. I mean, other than that, the dude shoots 39% from three for a career. 
He's a great rebounder for a point guard. There's not a lot of point guards in this league that's his size that can average five rebounds a game, which is what he averages. Um, he doesn't foul a lot. He doesn't turn the ball over. He averages one turnover per game in his career. That's like that's nothing. You know what I mean? For a guy who handles the ball as much as he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk Marcus Morris. I have a lot to say about Marcus Morris, but I'm going to let you guys go first. Marcus, go for it. Marcus Morris is just that electric player that comes off the bench. Like when you see him, you're like, all right, we just upped the intensity by like 40. And <laughs> especially in the playoffs when he was yelling at, uh, I believe it was Thompson in the Eastern Conference Finals after that that sick play, he's just like, ah. Yeah, a meme. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like the only weak point is like he he's like ready to rage and just like start a riot every point in the game. Mm-hmm. Like he just needs to simmer down just a little bit. I love the intensity, but he goes like 150 throughout the entire thing. And mm-hmm. I feel like he just, if he just slowed himself down, just, just caught himself, not get so amped. He, he would be able to see more offensive opportunities, maybe just getting a little more involved, but he's just so hyped and just ready to like thrash somebody, especially when he's playing Markeith. Those two oh, go so hard for no reason. It's ridiculous. Like I feel like, especially if he sees Markeith on the, on the court, that's all he sees. Mm-hmm. All he sees is his, his twin brother just like, yeah, yeah, well, mom's not here. <laughs> so I'll give you a freaking noogie real quick. Isn't yeah. like the game turned into a one-on-one match. Like, I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, dude's just insane. <laughs> uh, For me, it's just he shot 43% last year from the field. That's not, it's not great, mm-hmm. especially in the minutes he was given. His role was kind of come off and be a bench scorer and 43%. It's not. It's not the worst figure in the world, but it's not really where you want it to be. And he's a, he's a very isolation player. He A lot of times last year you'd see him. He'd post up, take one, two dribbles, and then do that fadeaway contested off one foot. And it went in some of the time, but most of the time it didn't really work out for him. And so I just think he just needs to be more efficient scorer and up that figure a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I have so much – Frustration. Marcus Morris is my least favorite Celtic. I'm just gonna say it. Oh. I don't like Marcus Morris. Yikes! Oh, I, like come on. I do not like Mark. I have so much passionate. I don't want to say hatred, but I do not like the guy. You know why? He's too damn selfish. In my mind, like everybody on this roster is selfless. You know, everybody's willing to make that extra pass to get the extra, the guy open. You know, everybody's like willing to like give up what you know the way they play for the team um minutes wise or or otherwise but marcus morris he is a ball stopper he is like you come around he is like you come around and ball movement ball movement ball movement hits marcus morris there's one guy open in the corner you know like Kyrie's open in the corner he could throw that extra dish you know to Kyrie for a wide open tray no, he's taking it. He's going to back down, try to be pretend like he's Kobe freaking Bryant out there and brick off some, you know, fadeaway one-legged contested shot from 23 feet out. The yeah, dude, it could be. He could be a lot worse. I mean, he could he be like Jabari Bird. I mean, I mean he's, he's a very efficient player. Like, like uh, I mean, at least from the games I've watched, like, I, I felt like he was always just that, like, guy, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he wants to make the baskets. He wants to get a lot of points, but. That that's just like the the. Oh, I mean, maybe the immaturity level. Just like, oh, I got it. Like, word, let's do it. And you know, I think after like a certain amount of time, he's just like, all right, 
pass the ball. I ain't got it today. You know, but really, you, 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 you really don't like Marcus Morris? I don't. Don't get me wrong, he has saved the Celtics in some situations when, when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward went down, especially after Kyrie went down in that stretch where Rozier started, uh, he was a big role. Like he took a huge role in winning some of those games down the stretch. So that like AC game. Yes, and the okay, perfect example. He had a game winner against Portland, I think. That was yep. the one where Doc Rivers or not whoa, excuse me, Brad Stevens stopped, smiled. Yeah, uh, coming down, yeah, ouch. Uh, <laughs> that's a big one. Um, <laughs> He's he's done some good stuff, but you know, okay. But all right, here's a perfect example. Kyrie's coming back. Gordon's coming back. What has Jalen said about his minutes losing a little bit of minutes, and um, or Jason Tatum has said about losing minutes next year? He's totally fine with it. He'll come off the bench. Terry Rozier, totally fine. Outwardly, totally fine with you know t- taking a lesser role. They asked Marcus Morris, and he's like, "What me? You know, he had this attitude like there's gonna be plenty of minutes for me. Like he had this like I ain't taking a minutes restriction." You know what I mean? That's what I mean. He's selfish. I just uh, – he's not going to get 12 shots a game this next season like he did last year. And I, I, I'm i glad of it. I hope he doesn't. I'm sorry. I just – I have so much passion. Exactly. <laughs> and we, were ta- we talked about it on the first podcast a little bit, the first Celtics edition podcast, where if there's going to be anyone who disrupts the team chemistry, Marcus Morris has got to be one of the one of the most concerning names on the team that you're thinking about when you're thinking disrupt these chemistry. Yeah, I think that's yeah. When we talk about who's gonna be who's gonna be selfless on this team, who is gonna be all in on on dropping their ego for the betterment of the team, and I think that's why I don't like Marcus Morris so much because I fear he might not he might be the guy who could hurt this team. I don't, you know, he's very abrasive. He's very abrasive, you know. Rough around I, the edges. It kind of comes with the fire. You talk about the yeah. fire, you know. Maybe that competitive energy might, in some cases, yeah. be you know. I mean, that in a negative light. To to be honest, when we first acquired him, I was nervous as hell to have him in the locker room with Marcus Smart. I had a feeling, yeah, I had a feeling those two were just gonna butt heads and probably swing it out in mm-hmm. the locker room. But like, so he far, proved so me wrong. He proved me wrong. I mean, those are the two most aggressive guys on the team. I mean, I could just see lanky Al Horford trying to get in the middle of that. <laughs> well, funny before, to watch, but before. Fumes start coming out of my head. Let's move on to uh, Aaron Baines over here because <laughs> I can't talk anymore. Marcus Morris. <laughs> Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines, I think, is the most intriguing, intriguing player on the bench because he has so many ways that he can better this team, I feel like. One of the ways is he's going to be second unit this year, no question, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with Hayward coming back. He's the first guy kicked out of the first unit. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he needs to be able to command the respect on the second unit as a leader on that team as a veteran, as a starter last year, he needs to, he needs to look at that second unit and say, okay, guys, follow my lead on this. Sure. And he needs to be a little bit assertive. Another thing he needs to take advantage of that improved three point ability that we saw in the playoffs last year. Yes. He's got to be able to convert on that. That was, that was fun to watch last year when Aaron big Australian Aaron Baines was pulling up from the corner and hit swishing threes. <laughs> but my biggest thing probably is, rebounding as a starting center you need more than 5.4 rebounds a game which is what he averaged last year especially as that big of a guy he definitely needs to be getting more rebounds and becoming more of a presence under that hoop yeah yeah that's a very very good take now mine mine takes a little bit of development so you guys would both agree aaron baines is a big mofo right 
Yes. 100%, 100% big guy. He needs to assert his body mass on defense and offense. Because I've seen Aaron Baines, like, he can hold his own when he's doing this. Mm. But when he's just chilling there, like, like uh, say Embiid's a perfect example. If he's just chilling there like this and he's given, like, half a foot of room for the up top just for the turnaround fadeaway, stuff like that, he lets it happen. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the only time he's really, like, a fear in the lineup is when he's pissed. When he's, when he's pissed. pissed. Yeah. Yeah. When he's pissed, like, no one's scoring. And at the same time, he's going to turn around with that little man bun uh, hook shot, and it's going <laughs> to go in. If he's got the man bun, it's over. And that's just, like, the mentality. But he, he just needs to realize, dude, I'm, like, seven one, like, 250 pounds. Why is someone stopping me? Let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just needs to use his size. I I agree with both your takes, and, and uh, to be honest with you, my 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 key improvement is actually a combo of both what you guys had to say. Um, first, my outside shot. I think the dude shot like three threes all regular season, and then he shot forty eight percent. That's ridiculous, dude. He almost shot fifty percent from three for Aaron Baines. Isn't that crazy? If if he can if he can work, I, if I would if I was Aaron Baines in the soft season, I'd be like shoot like. 100 threes a day, you know, like get out there and see if you can't spread the floor more because his, his biggest weakness is that he's so interior, he's so inside. He's he, in a game that is so predicated on spreading the floor and being an outside shooter, he is a cock. You know what I mean? He, you can't spread the floor with him on the court. And I think outside shooting nailed it. Um, I think he is a big body in defense. I think he is a stout defender to me, but I at the same time I see what she means about keeping your hand up and not giving that extra space, Porchy. Yeah. Because uh, he averages only 0.6 blocks per game in his career, barely over half a block a game. That isn't good. I mean, he's a good stout defender, but he doesn't get aggressive and physical when it comes to like shots getting up over him. He kind of just like doesn't foul, keeps his arms like away from everybody and just yeah. kind of like lets it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah he he's can right. block shots better, he'll be a better interior defender and rim protector. It's like he's scared for the referee to just call him on one of those soft fouls that just they love blowing in the NBA now. He, mm-hmm. he's, he, he's more focused on like, all right, like I'm all good. I'm not touching the defender. Only legal contact. Like no foul. Let's get it. And it's not going to work. It's not yeah. going to work. So let me let me get into some Daniel Ties here. Um, Daniel, Daniel Ties is an interesting character. He he played in a little over sixty games this year, so we have a little bit of an idea of of uh, of his game. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he does moving forward because of his injury last year. We didn't get to see him in the playoffs. Um, he shot fifty four percent from the field from two point, so he's a good finisher around the rim. He's solid at around the basket. Um, but he shot thirty one percent from three last year, so similar to Aaron Baines, those two. If we had to pick two guys in this roster who are our weakest outside shooters, it's Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice. Of course, they're big guys. You know, it's not yeah, yeah. totally expected of them to shoot outside. But Daniel Tice does take some shots from the outside. He can improve them upon that shot. I still so remember outside, the game where he hit three in a row. Yeah, no, he does. He he takes them. He takes them more yeah. than Baines does. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little bit more um, fundamental here and talk about. Uh, his that he needs to adapt a little bit more to American basketball's pace. Mm. Um, I know he mentioned that early on when they were interviewing him about. Um, so what's it like being in American basketball um, versus what Germany? Yeah, yeah. So 
he said pace. He said it's like crazy how much faster the game is. And so for me, pace and footwork because he gets blown by all the time. If he's out left out at the perimeter, that guard's taking him. That guard's taking him right by right behind to the hoop. So speed and quickness in defense to me would be my my tightest moves. What do you guys got? Um, looking at Tice, just look, going by simply by the stats. If you look at his advanced metrics, metrics, he was an efficient player last year. His rebounding percentage was high. His assist percentage was high. He did things well, mm-hmm. and I just think we're getting into the part of the lineup now where it's it's still projects. These people are still developing a little bit, and that's yeah. what I want to see from Daniel Tice this year. I want him to see, I want him to get more comfortable in the NBA. I want him to mm-hmm. keep adapting to that play style because he's got the tools. He's an efficient player. He just needs to keep you know applying those skills in the NBA and continue that transition from Europe from Germany. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. I mean, when we first signed Daniel Tice, it was like, all right, we haven't signed Gordon Hayward yet. Why are we wasting cap space on this guy? Does that mean we don't get Hayward? And then like eventually everything worked out the way it did. But when he first started playing, you didn't notice him because I, I don't know. It was just the transition most likely, but he, he was just like, like that awkward new kid that just came from like Florida and you're in Wisconsin or something. And he's just standing there, you know, yeah, this, this is fun, you know, <laughs> but I mean, and then eventually like right before his ACL injury, he was on a freaking tear. Like every night he was putting up almost double doubles. He was just outshining Aaron Baines, Horford, you know, he was just playing terrific basketball, and then this injury derailed him. Like, a- after a while, he was just aggressive whenever he was on the court. And to me, that's phenomenal. That's why he's become one of my favorite low-key players on this team. If he can just stay where he's at, as long as he didn't regress at all, if he just keeps pushing forward, that's all I could ask for from Daniel Tice. 100%. Yeah, I mean... I think, uh, Jack, you nailed it. We're starting to get down to that bottom tier of the lineup where there's going to be a lot of um, – we have to see. You know, we have to wait and see. That's why we're not going to talk about Jabari Bird. We're not going to talk about Gershon Yabuselli here because they don't have enough minutes under their belt to really, like, you know, give a good in-depth analysis here. The last guy in the roster that has played and has played in big minutes. He has played in big minutes this year. He played in the playoffs. You know, he um, performed in some big games and uh, performed – Admirably well, and that's a semi Ojale, guys. What do you guys have on semi Ojale? I mean, Shemi's a very interesting player. Uh, great, inter- he's a great defensive minded player. But I mean, like, the only two times you'll ever see Semi in a game that's not defensive on defense, if he's in the corner and he chucks up the shot, or if he's in the corner, fakes the shot, runs up, splash. Mm-hmm. I feel he hides behind the corners, corner three. I feel like he needs to just spread the floor more, you know, just be part of offense. I feel like when he's on offense, he's just kind of like, there, I'm in my spot. Where's the ball? <laughs> or like or like he'll, he'll come out to like set a screen and then just run right back. Like the corner's his safe space. He just needs to broaden his horizons more on the court, just take different shots, more open looks, and just be better, be more involved in the ball movement. Mm-hmm. He reminds me he's going to be a 3D player in this league. That's going to be his bread and butter. But he's just – his defense is fine. He's just got to keep developing on the offensive end, and that will come with time and adapting to the NBA. He was a rookie last year too. People you know, people think Jason Tatum when they think rookies last year. They don't think semi as much as they do Tatum. But 
he's got the defensive skill set. He's just got to be able to continue to develop the offensive skill set as time goes on. I think uh, I think right now this rookie year, I think he's a three and D guy without the three. I mean, he you're right. I mean, all he does is shoot threes and play defense, and we all agree that he's a great defender, right? Like the guy yeah. is he stands his ground on defense. He's, yeah. yeah, that's why he played. He played. He was a offensive liability last year, and yet he played in some major minutes and some big games because of how good a defender he is. So I agree with you guys. I think confidence, confidence, confidence. I think it's all about confidence. I'm going to take two guys, for example. Terry Rozier, his rookie year, Terry Rozier uh, was bad. He was very bad his rookie year. I don't think he was confident enough going into the league. He did get some minutes, and I don't think he was confident enough with those minutes. He, you know – was shoot a shot and he didn't trust it was going in. Another guy, Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley was raw. He came into the league from Texas and he was supposed to be a shooter and he couldn't shoot. He was bad. He bricked every shot, you know, and what is he doing now? He's averaging 16, 17 points a game over there in Detroit, was a big player on this roster for a couple years for us. You know, he broke out of his shell. They, Rozier and Bradley both broke out of their shell after they gained confidence I think Sammy Ojale is a lot like that. Yeah, for yeah. Me, for me, he's not reliable right now on the offensive end of the court. But if he starts believing in himself and starts believing that when he shoots that ball, it's going in, we might see a little bit more of some production for Sammy Ojale on the offense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like how you just mentioned Avery Bradley because that just got some ideas brewing in my head. So Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart were the two perimeter defensive guards on the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Bradley left, so that became Marcus Smart. Do you think Ojale could be a Bradley smart combo as none of them can take a good jumper? They mm. take ridiculous shots, but they're all just phenomenal on defense. Mm. If I think I think he could be there. I think he's need, he needs to develop a three-point shot. I think if he gets confidence, he could be an Avery Bradley Marcus Smart combo and on deep on defense for sure. I think he won't reach 16, 17 points per game like Bradley did. But if he can average more than a point a game in like 15 minutes play. Then, yeah. Then sure. You got anything else there, Jack? I mean, we know what Sammy did last year. He's a defensive player. That's what he's going to be for his entire career. We already know that. But he's just got to, if he wants to stay in the NBA, he's got to pick it up a little bit on the offensive end. That's what it comes down to at the end. If you guys don't mind, can we uh, can we talk just a little bit, Robert Williams? Just yeah, to- yeah. I want to hear what your thoughts are. With Robert. Um, we don't know anything about him in the NBA yet. He's a rookie. He hasn't played yet. But what I know from college is he is a lot like Tyus and Baines in the sense that he doesn't shoot. He doesn't shoot outside five feet. You know, he's any anytime he's caught outside the paint, it's no. You can you can sit in the paint, sit back in the paint, and he, you can trust he ain't gonna make a shot. We know that Boston drafted him for his defense. We know he drafted him for his rebounding, and uh, we know that we drafted him for his shot blocking ability. But offensively he's raw he's really raw that's why he wasn't a high draft pick and i think for me it's going to be interesting to see how he offensively develops this year yeah yeah i couldn't agree more i mean i think that's a very interesting take but mine's going to be a little bit more on the obvious side because he's had some maturity issues Mm. already getting into the good going but at the same time you can't really blame the kid because he he's from what louisiana and yeah i think so yeah and uh, ju- just the hectic NBA schedule is hard to get used to, especially right after a first-round draft pick. Like, you got to go to Boston. you got to go back home, get your stuff, go back, like get ready for, like, summer league, go to Vegas, you know, stuff like that. So it's hectic. But at the same time, you want to be 
I'm most like mature about everything. Like you can't be missing conference calls. You can't be missing team planes. Like you got to be on top of everything. Like you're a professional now, but at the same time, it's, it's going to take development. Mm. Like that, that, that's what this whole year is, is just developing in the right direction. If he does that, then that's all the team could ask for. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit of news that came out today because uh, Williams was at a, um, the Celtics are doing this thing where they go to kids' houses in Massachusetts and they paint the courts for the Celtics and they do a whole little thing. And Williams went out to one of those today and they, the media got a chance to talk to him and he said he's still working on strengthening his knee. He hasn't been cleared for five-on-five five yet. He hopes to be by training camp. But then the piece that I thought was interesting was that Aaron Baines said he's seen Williams working out at the Celtics facility over the past few weeks. And Baines said, quote, He's definitely got a few attributes that are going to help the team, and he's definitely got an exciting future, unquote, which that excites me that his teammates are watching him grow and develop and that they're thinking positively of him so far. But as long as he's got the, as long as he's got the work ethic and that continues throughout the season, for me, as long as that stays up there, I don't care how he plays. As long as he's willing to do take, a, take on a role within the team and can be willing to develop under Brad Stevens and his system. That's interesting news. I didn't actually know about the uh, the knee injury update. I thought that he would be uh, good to go. Do you know if that if 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 he's going to be cleared by training camp? Uh, it says all it tells me is that he hopes to be, which I'm gonna assume. I'm assume he'll be there. I'm assume I'm assuming he'll get to that point. But the other the last little thing I wanted to say is that it said Robert Williams told the media that Brad Stevens is so hands on that he conditioned with Robert Williams on the bike today. While oh, Williams was warming, warming down or warming up or whatever. I, I can't I even say. imagine a guy like Brad Stevens, like just someone that small just standing up to an almost seven-foot guy on a conditioning bicycle. Like, <laughs> why? That, that would have been a funny Snapchat moment. <laughs> if, I have to pick, if I had to pick one life coach to hire anyone in the world, Brad that would definitely be Brad, Brad Stevens. Stevens. Always, always. All right, so any closing thoughts, guys, before we wrap this show up? Training camps around the corner. We're going to have a lot more uh, podcasts going to be coming in a little bit more frequently with Celtics as the season nears. So uh, for any listeners out there, you know, stay tuned. We're going to be coming in a bit quicker, a lot more to talk about, uh, a lot heavier topics. We're going to be, once the season gets underway, we're going to be doing some uh, some game recaps and uh, forecasts and whatnot. So just uh, be ready for that. Yep. Training camp and preseason right around the corner. We finally get to see these guys in action a little bit. And that's going to be really entertaining to watch, especially for our newer guys, Williams. I'm excited to see what he can do on the court. All right. That concludes another episode of Boston Sports Extra Podcast, Celtics edition. We hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I really want to thank uh, Anthony, uh, Boston Sports Extra, the fans, the writers do an amazing job with, with their articles, you know, giving you fresh content and fresh material to read, whether it's your cup of coffee or whether it's your – late night rounds, whatever you do. Uh, Jack, Travis, thank you guys so much. And remember, anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you can listen to our podcast. So why not give ours a click? Thank you. Have a good night, and we'll see you next time.